What's up, crew? Welcome to a, another recording session of the CloverTech podcast. We do these live, for the most part, they're impromptu. So uh, if you do drop in, if you are out there, uh, welcome. And remember, you can always participate uh, in the chat. Uh, we want to welcome everybody in replay, video, audio world, wherever you might be. Remember that you don't have the live chat capabilities, but you do have a comment section down below. So if you've got questions for myself, questions for any of the guests, want to weigh in on any of the topics that we talked about, go ahead, put those down below. Matter of record, it is April 21st, April, if I can talk today, 21st, 2021. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to get into uh, some excess sites. I don't have a lot of experience with excess sites. Uh, we will be referencing excesssites.com. Uh, so for those out there, if you're live and have the capability to follow along there, or if you're in replay, yeah, go ahead and, and follow along as we talk about some of the products and the different things. But uh, yeah, without further bloviating, going to bring in Mr. Monty from Excess Sites. And thank you for joining us today, brother. Appreciate it. Hi. Good morning. Happy to be here. Um, give us a little background, if you would, to kind of start off here, a little primer with um, kind of who you are. What do you do for Excess Sites? What's your role with them? Sure. So uh, I'm currently, my current title is Production Manager. Um, I started, actually started with excess sites in, wow, 2004. Um, in fact, next month makes my 17th anniversary with excess sites, uh, actually started doing order fulfillment, uh, and then some production work, which granted when I started, the company was considerably smaller than it is now. So, uh, yeah, just been able to grow along with the company and, uh, like I said, currently the production manager. So trying to keep everything on the shelves and in stock and trying to keep back orders to a minimum. And right. Some days that works pretty good. And some days, some days there's so many orders that you just look at it and go, Oh my Lord, how am I going to pull this off? Right. Now we were, we were talking a little bit, uh, you backstage there that you also shoot competitively. Several different yes, things. Sir. Um, mm -hmm. And so yeah. when I hear when I hear excess sites, there's a reason I ask you that, because when I hear excess sites and we're going to get into some of the products again here, here in just a second, folks. But um, when I hear excess sites, I my mind immediately, for whatever reason, and I, you tell me if this is common with folks, it immediately goes to self-defense use. Yes, sir. That's correct. And that's that's really what the sites were designed for. I mean. You know, the, the express site concept dates back to late 1800s, early 1900s as a sighting system to use on heavy double rifles dealing with dangerous game in Africa. I mean, you had a big four-legged critter that wanted to do foul, evil, nasty things to you because it didn't want to die. Um, when the company was started, uh, the concept was actually translated over to handgun sites because in a, a lot of cases, it's very similar. I mean, it's not a four like a critter you're trying to deal with defensively as a general rule. That's It was kind of geared towards two-legged predators, but the same concepts are there. You're dealing with a an aggressive, foul-tempered opponent that wants to do foul, evil, nasty things to you, and you need to apply lead right now in an acceptable area as quickly as possible. And that's what the sites were designed for, and that's really what we've marketed marketed them towards is defensive use. Um, a lot of people don't think about them for competitive use, but you know, I I actually started shooting competitively in 
2000, 99 or 2000. And when I started, I had one handgun, one carbine, and one shotgun. So the handgun I had had to do everything. It had to be my concealed carry pistol. It had to be my competition pistol. It had to be the bedside pistol. So I used the big dots because that's what I had on it for defensive use. And changing sights and re-zeroing the pistol uh, because I was going to go play three gun or go play USPSA this weekend wasn't such a good idea. There, there wasn't the, the time and the ammo available to me because there again, uh, when I first started shooting, I was a poor broke college student. Um, so yeah, I had the one handgun to do it all. Um, when I got to the point where I had more handguns and had a little more money to spend on ammo, it was, you know, I liked it. It worked. Um, I wasn't missing targets because the sights weren't accurate. I was missing targets because that thing was being uncooperative. <laughs> right. Now, you know, you talked about being with excess sights as long as you have. Uh, that kind of floored me there for a second. I did not realize excess sights had been around that long. Uh, yes, sir, they, the, company was, the company was actually formed in 1996. Wow. I wow. think pretty, pretty sure it was 96. <laughs> Definitely pre 2000. Though, right. Even if you yes, sir. Yeah. Wow. I never would have, I never would have guessed. I would have failed that test. And somebody asked me to guess that never would have thought that. Wow. And so what was the first product released? Do you know? And is that still available in the catalog? Um, I would actually have to talk to Bo, who's our gunsmith. Uh, he wasn't, he wasn't here when the company was started, but he was working with, them when the company started and, and originally our, our the original company name actually wasn't excess sites the the excess oh, okay. sites name came about in uh 2003 or 2004. okay um, still a long time mm-hmm. originally it was was a and e manufacturing and then ashley outdoors ao sites express site systems and then excess site systems okay and is, is the name generate gen, changes over the years? Was there a reason for that? Just rebranding, or was there was some corporate level stuff going on? Or there, there was a there was a lot of things. So originally, uh, the company was started by Ed Pastusic and Ashley Emerson. Uh, at the time, Ashley was you know a gun writer as well as working for uh, I believe it was MMC. Um, yeah, it was MMC. Ed was doing uh, our sister company, Horizon Tech Industries, is a machine shop, um, which Ed owned that and was doing contract work for MMC, uh, doing very, very precise, small machining on gun sites. And Ashley had the idea of the express sites, and MMC just wasn't that interested in it, uh, was my understanding. And I could be wrong, but that was kind of my understanding. So he and Ed started A&E Manufacturing for Ashley and Ed. Um, they decided to change the name again. We're, we're talking about this is kind of my understanding, and I'm not going to swear that this is correct, but this is what right. my understanding was. Sure. Um, they changed the name to Ashley Outdoors to try and capitalize on on Ashley's name as a writer to help promote the company. Uh, yeah. Um, when Ashley left the company, they changed the name to AO Sites, um, because it's real close to American Optical. American Optical had some issues, so we changed it to Express Sight Systems, and then the the decision was made to change it to to XS. The short so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds to me like it it just kind of niched it down 
right to so that the company name aligned better with the product. And yes, sir. And that, at, at that time, we were doing primarily express sites for handguns, and then some go, you know, quite a bit of ghost ring sites for for rifles and shotguns. Right. Um, right. Uh, we've got Mario out there. Got some love for excess uh, sites. Mario out there oh. says excess uh, big dots are awesome for self defense sites. Uh, he says loves them. Needs to get him some for his CZP10C. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mario. And, and we make them. Uh, they are available on the website. Last I looked, they were in stock. If not, I'll figure that out and work on remedying that quickly. And then uh, Ghost is out there joining us. He says uh, he has the big dots on a couple of guns. Really liked them, liked them once he got used to them. So um, let's talk about that just a minute. Because, again, I, I've got some um, that you guys sent me for my... Uh, Smith and Wesson model 617, which <laughs> anybody out there that knows, I'm going to have to do a little bit of drilling and <laughs> everything to, to get those in. So I haven't, I haven't uh, done those yet. And so my experience with excess sites is fairly limited. So <laughs> learning curve from the big dot system, which these guys out in the chat are talking about from traditional sites to that big dot system. Um, is there much of a learning curve there? Do, do you get any feedback on how easily people can pick up and adapt to them? In, there, in, in my experience and in my opinion, there is a little bit of a learning curve, if you, especially if you've been shooting quite a bit. Uh, most everybody's used to a notch and post, either a three-dot or a fiber-optic front or just plain black sights, whatever. Um, and you're used to lining up the front sight, you know, centered up in the notch, level across the top, equal height, equal light. Uh, and then depending on how the gun zeroed, either a six o'clock hold or a, a dead hold, depending on, on what it is and how you've got it zeroed. Um, yeah, the express sights are different. Uh, and, and I'll get to my, my car analogy here in a minute because there's a lot of it that is similar to dealing with stuff in a vehicle. When you go to the express sights, you're changing the sight picture. Instead of the front sight being level across the top of that notch, you're actually running the front sight above the rear sight. Um, we do so much in life that is just, we're on autopilot. You know, mm -hmm. again, my car analogy, you're driving down the road and you want to turn the radio up. You just reach over and turn the radio up. Right. Right. What happens if you get out of your truck and get into my Toyota 4Runner? Right. Yeah. That, that stereo is not in the same spot. You reach over That's and you're not right. getting volume now. You exactly. got to kind of look over there and think about where it's at. So when we go to a new type of sites, we kind of got to teach our subconscious mind what's going on. And, and what I tell people is to spend five to 10 minutes a day, you know, make sure the gun's clear, obviously. Uh, go somewhere to a completely different room where there's no ammunition and find a wall that's going to retain bullets in case you goof up. Right. And then triple check that pistol and make sure that it is not loaded. And then spend about five to 10 minutes a day just doing a good solid dry fire practice session. When you clear the gun, Blank wall works fine. Just come up, get the appropriate sight picture, which is all of the white, yellow, orange, green dot, depending on which variation of the sights you have, centered up over that vertical post, and make a good trigger press. Uh, what we find is that most people tend to shoot low when they first start with the express sights. And the only thing I can think of is the subconscious mind looks at the sight picture and goes, whoa, what the heck? I got to drop that down because that front sight's not level across the top. Right. And they usually wind up shooting low. 
most of the time, five to ten minutes of dry fire, about three, four sessions, solves that before it can be a problem. Right. Awesome. That's a, that's good stuff. Uh, Wes out there, and we're going to talk about the uh, uh, the rails and the other stuff, but he says he's got the XS Ghost Ring on some Mossberg 590A1 and really likes it uh, on that shot. Yeah, excellent. Give us some feedback, uh, feedback on that. Um, yeah, I want to jump into let's jump into uh, products maybe uh, here for just a just a quick minute. And you know, you were talking about um, in, in the pre-show there that you had some input in the development of one of the products. Which one was that? Well, the one we were talking about was the original version of the XTIs, which came out in oh lord. I don't remember exactly when they came out. Uh, mm, I'd have to I'd have to go back and look at it. And and what happened was uh, my buddy Andrew Brady, that owns Lone Star Armory, uh, and I were both competitive three gun shooters. And at the time, Andrew was running an ACOG, which is a fixed four power optic, uh, and I was shooting a Night Force one to four. And this was before you had all the, the cattails and the, the scope levers to help you adjust through your power range quickly. So it, was a, it wasn't uncommon to have targets at two, three, four, five, six hundred yards from multiple positions, but you'd have to transition between those positions and you'd have paper targets in between that you'd have to engage. Well, engaging a paper target at, you know, eight to ten yards through a four power optic is not a lot of fun. Um, because your field of view goes down, you're you're trying to combine a magnified image with an unmagnified image because you got both eyes open while you're moving. It just it wasn't a lot of fun. Didn't work very well for for a lot of people. And that's when you started seeing a lot of a lot of uh, the offset sites come out. Um, it was probably 07, 08, I think, right in there somewhere. Uh, you know, JP Enterprises came out with theirs, which was just a you know basically a, a five inch piece of aluminum with a notched rear and a standard AR front that you bolted at one o'clock or 11 o'clock on your rail, depending on whether you were right or left-handed. Um, the Duke defense came sites came out somewhere in there uh, and those all worked well, but Andrew and I are both express sites users or he was at the time. I don't, I don't right. think he's running, uh, running them on much right now. I think he's kind of gone off into the red dots, but uh so we came up with the idea of the XTIs and, and a way to put the express sights mounted off at uh, an angle so that you can just roll the rifle inboard a little bit and be able to use the same iron sights that you're using uh, on your handgun on the carbine. Nice. And again, that familiarization comes into play when you're doing that too, which is which is nice. So again, uh, for those out there, I've got the uh, got the website up here. We're going to look at a few things, excesssites.com. Uh, if you want to uh, follow along, jump in. So, as far as uh, as far as products, I'm going to let you kind of usher us through, give us a, a tour guide, if you will. Uh, where should we start? Do you think with products with a flagship, maybe oh, man. sellers, something of that nature? Oh man, um, where to start? Glock sites is probably the best place because that is uh, <clears throat> that's kind of the biggest product family we've got um there you go scroll down into the glock and then you can pick out based off of uh model of handgun um 
far left, the 17, 19, 22, 23, tends to be the biggest family because there's more 9-millimeter clocks in the world than anything else. And Right. I think the 219 is probably the most prolific of them. Yes, sir. And, and due to the way Glock makes everything, uh, the same set of sights works on all the double stack 9 mils, 40s, and 357.6. Right. Uh, 42, 43, 43X, 48, the, the slim line. You could technically run that rear sight on there. Um, it's a little taller than what we use on the on the 42, 43, and then it's wider as well. Uh, it'll fit. It just looks kind of weird. Uh, but, yeah, the, the small frame Glock 9 millimeters, so the 19, 17, tend to be the most popular thing we make. Uh, right and that's a good a place to start as any so you know a question it hasn't we haven't had a question pop up out there this question yet but in looking at the site here i see the suppressor ready the rmr height and so just to head off maybe this question now if you're using a suppressor height or that rmr height how does that index or co-witness with a with a red dot do you know a lot of it depends on the setup of the firearm and the red dot. Uh, for example, the MOS, you know, you, you need a little more height than you would on a direct milled gun. And the suppressor heights were, were designed around the Glock MOS with a Trigicon RMR. Uh, they work great on an MOS with an RMR or a Holosun 507 uh, or an SRO. Uh, you start getting into some of the, uh, like the Vortex stuff, uh, and I forget, and my buddies at Vortex will give me a ration of crap about it, I'm sure, um, which one is which. Uh, there's, I can't remember if it's the Venom or the Viper. There's one that it works with and one that it's a little too short. Um, if you've got a slide that's been direct milled, for example, I've got a Shadow Systems MR918, um, I actually use the F8s with it with an RMR because it's direct milled. It sits low enough. I can get by with the F8s, and I can run that little slightly shorter set of sights, and I don't eat up as much of the RMR window. So there's there's still a whole lot of that quiet there. I'm not sure if he locked up or not. It sounds like he may have been having a technical issue. So, <laughs> John out there is asking anything for Glock 2029. Yeah, absolutely. We're in the uh, suppressor height but uh, for some Glock stuff. So, uh, yeah, I can answer that question. Absolutely. Uh, if Monty, if you're uh, yeah, if you're out there then uh, might drop out and come back in send him a uh, private message <laughs> live TV is always fun there he went hopefully we get him back but uh, yeah to answer John's question yeah absolutely um, I guess we're still going let me know if we are still live I know Monty uh, froze there and dropped out hopefully the stream is still live I'm still live I will relay uh, G23's question out there as well as uh, let uh, Monty know, let him know about Rich White. I agree with Mario. He says anything is better than brass bead. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, yeah, if you're not doing uh, sporting clays, uh, that's about the only place that uh, the brass bead is uh, is mission critical. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we get it back. Hopefully it wasn't anything mission critical on him. Uh, everybody out there in the chat saying we're still live. Yeah, so thanks for thanks for jumping in. Thanks for joining. Uh, I've got several questions myself, so I'm hoping Monty, I'm hoping he's able to come back in. Um, check my phone in here. Said live TV, always fun. And I don't see anything here, so hopefully he can uh, he can get back in. But uh, yeah, it looks like we've got several folks out in the chat. Ghost. Uh, Rich, a bunch of them. Hang on one second. All right, I am back. Yeah, live TV's fun. So, here's what happened. Somebody didn't pay the internet bill over there at Excess Sites. No, I'm joking. Uh, they got some technical difficulties with their internet. So, what I'm going to do, if you will, uh, you guys will bear with me here for just a minute. I'm going to run over here and I'm going to try to get Monty back in via his cell phone. I need to get that link, uh, link over there to him. So, I'm going to floviate a little bit and talk while we do that. But uh, give me uh, just a few minutes for this. But thanks for thanks for hanging out. Thanks for standing by. Thanks for uh, being patient because technical difficulties. Well, they sometimes they just happen, right? So let me copy this and then let me go over here. This is his cell phone. Send him a message and send it. Whoa! Send him this link. Now the question is going to remain: uh, if he if he is able to get back into the stream, question that uh, is going to remain here is going to be: how is this audio <laughs> coming from a cell phone? So we're going to find that out. But yeah, I've got several questions. If you guys have questions, hopefully we get Monty back in here with excess sites. So get those uh, get those questions locked and loaded. Uh, if you've got experience with excess sites, go ahead and throw that out there in the. Uh, in the chat as well uh, but yeah hopefully we can uh, get him back in it looks like we've got him here we do got him here looky there maybe can you hear us? <laughs> yes sir sure can sorry about we that beat Apparently... take take that technology take that <laughs> yeah so so apparently our internet decided to just disappear on me there for a minute that's what i told everybody i said well apparently excess sites did not pay their internet bill so <laughs> Prepare, no, prepare, for, I, I, prepare for the memes, man. Prepare for the memes. I, I blame it on the IT guy. Ah, it could be. It could very well be. Um, 
Yeah, we had a couple of things while you we were going. Rich White out there, he says he has the excess front sight on his Mossberg Shockwave. So it was a great upgrade to the standard uh, brass bead. Then we had John that uh, said anything for the Glock 2029. And the, the answer to that is absolutely, correct? Yes, sir. Um, yeah, it should should be uh, crap. I'm 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 having a brain fade, and I cannot remember exactly what the uh, so the twenty is a ten mil. It uses the same thing as a, a twenty one or a forty one. Um, right. Same thing for the twenty nine. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. Um. So we were looking at the the suppressor height, the RMR height stuff. We were talking about that when you accidentally dropped. Uh, and I'm noticing on the page here, and since you're on the phone, I'll, I'll try to explain a little better. That way you know what I'm looking at. But um, I see them with the uh, with the, the vertical line here, and I see them with a notch. Mm -hmm. there, there's two different flavors. Can you explain why there's two different flavors? Sure. Um, some people just really do not get along with the express sight concept, and that <laughs> they still need a set of sights that they can see that, that has the high visibility from on sight. So... Uh, a couple of years ago, we started off with the F8s, and then we added the, the R3Ds uh, and the minimalist versions uh, that are a more conventional notch at both sight. Okay. And that, 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 way, that way, if the, just for whatever reason, because sights are, sites are a very personal thing, honestly. Sure. Um, and most people get one set of sights, and it works for them, and they don't really want to change it. That's, that's perfectly understandable. Right. Um, this way we've got options for a greater number of customers. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the name of the game, right? Um, you know, and that goes exactly. into another thing. You know, how difficult, um, and we'll, we'll get back to some, some different examples of, uh, of the products here in a minute, but you raised a good point that I wanted to ask with, there's got to be a jillion SKUs, right? With mm -hmm. excess size. So is that, is that sometimes a pain trying to manage that? Like what is, you know, trying to foresee what's becoming popular, right? What is kind of going out of style and maybe we shouldn't, you know, uh, put as much into production on those. How easy is it as a company for excess sites to pivot and shift kind of like with the trend of the way that, that firearms are going? Um, Sometimes, sometimes it can be very, very interesting. Uh, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, you just do the best you can, uh, keeping an eye on, on what's actually moving product-wise and watching your inventory levels. Um, we've got several people that tend to, to spend time looking at stuff on the different forums uh, on the Internet and, and just try and see what's going on and, and try and anticipate where we may see spikes. Um, sometimes we do okay. And sometimes, sometimes we miss it. We just have to scramble and try and get caught up. And that's, that's kind of the, the way it is for, for anybody and everybody to be honest. Right. Right. Now I, I've switched over to the, uh, to the page with the Canic. I know Canic is a, is a really popular one. I think because it's, it's probably a really good, uh, really good handgun for the money. I think most people say that. Um, but again, I mean, we're looking at, a couple different variants. We're looking at the DXT2 and then also the, the R3D that we kind of just looked at with uh, with the Glocks. And I, I've noticed something here. The the DXT2 is the big dot, 
and then that R3D is a little smaller dot. Is that because the sight picture is different because the R3D has a notch? So one of the one of the ideas behind the R3Ds was to be a little more conventional because the the express sight for a lot of folks is extremely unconventional, and they just because it's unconventional they're a little uncomfortable with it. Right. Uh, so so one of the things that we did on the R3D family was try to make it a lot more conventional. So yeah, the front side is a little smaller um, to be a little more conventional, a little more along the lines of what people are used to. Uh, it's still slightly bigger than most anything else on the market, simply because we wanted to be able to put a high visibility ring around the tritium lamp. Uh, and the bigger we can make that ring, the more visible it is in anything other than absolute dead darkness. Uh, that's the one thing that so many people really have a misconception about tritium is tritium is really not that bright. Um, unless you're see like that picture you get right there, uh, that's a really, really wonderful glowing grease right in the middle of that rear. Uh, that's not what it looks like in daylight. That's that's a lot more like what that tritium would look like in full darkness. Tritium just doesn't glow that bright. It's it's not intended to. Um, most companies do that to make it easier to see in advertisements. So what we what we've come up with is you need something that you can see in. But different lighting conditions and you know full sunlight black socks work high rapids work uh, dusk not so much mm -hmm. uh, walking into a building where well, the, our office is a perfect example if i've got you know the light in the hallway between my office and the back door uh, on but I'm in the fulfillment room up front well i've got enough light to walk around without stumbling into stuff but it's a little darker than I'd like it to be for a defensive situation if I needed to use a handgun for whatever reason. Um, so our DXT, DXT2, the R3Ds, that front sight has that brighter ring to help locate that front sight in suboptimal light conditions without being full darkness where the tritium would work. Right. You know, additionally, the, the DXT2s and the R3Ds and the F8s also have photoluminescent properties. So you can actually hit that front sight with a white light, and it will glow. You know, it will re-emit that light to some extent. Right. So I guess what I'm hearing uh, is that with with tritium versus, say, fiber optic, we had a question on that up above. I'll get to that here in a second. But with tritium versus fiber optic, the tritium is, is more consistent across all light conditions. That's sort of what you're saying? Well, you know, um, in, in full daylight or like right now in my office, tritium's not going to glow. Um, it's, let me let me rephrase that. Tritium is glowing. It's not glowing bright enough to see. Right. In, in a bright but, light condition. But fiber optic is not going to hardly glow at all at night. No, no. Fire, fiber optic's not going to glow at night. Uh, fiber optic has to have light coming into it for you to see the ends of it glow. So if you right. if you are in a total dark environment or if you're in an extremely dim environment, fiber optic isn't going to do anything for you. Right, and that's that kind of leads into I guess the question we had up here. I think it was from G23. Uh, that was asking, do you guys have anything like the uh, True Glow TFX? And that's a front and rear. That's a front and rear fiber optic. Yeah, yeah, that's so. that's something that Trugo has been doing for a while, where they've got fiber optic and then a tritium lamp to try and power the fiber optic 
in extreme low light. Uh, no, sir, we don't do anything like that at this time. Um, no telling what the future may bring, but we don't do anything with fiber optics at this point in time. Right. Yeah. So let's jump over. There's been a lot of talk about uh, a lot of talk about the, the shotgun stuff out there. Folks using things on shotguns. That would that be under the scope mounts, or where would that be, Monty? Uh, on this no, if it'll be it'll be under sights. Um, under sights. Okay, shotgun sights. Shotgun sights. And I know you were talking about it as well. The shotgun sights. That uh, how much you like them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the plane barrel, the vent rib, and the dovetail we're looking at here. Where should we go, do you think? You well, know, it, it, a lot of it kind of depends on on what shotgun you have, how it's currently configured, and how much you're willing to put into it work-wise. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, if you've got, and pardon me, I'm not, I haven't looked at our website a whole lot lately. I've been busy trying to keep sites <laughs> moving through the production system. Right. Uh, you know, uh, if you go to Remington, it gives you kind of a, a big brace, you know, the broadest range of the different options. Um, oh, okay. Let's do that. Yeah. There and, we go. And, a, and a lot of them are applicable to, to more than just Remington. It's just that I know that Remington's, the Remington tab on our website basically shows all the options. Uh, right. If a customer is basically looking for a home defense gun and they're not going to do anything but home defense with buckshot, um, really, you don't need any kind of a rear sight. You're just looking for a front sight that you can see in a hurry to locate the front of the gun and put a pattern where you need it to go. Right. Um, so the epoxy on front sights, whether you've got the, the 870 with a pedestal barrel or a Remington or 870 with a plain barrel uh, or a bent rib, those are epoxy on. They give you, there you go, that's the, the plain barrel. That just epoxies on over the existing bead. And it gives you a front sight that, that you can see easily. And that's something that a so customer the, can... Well, so that, that's interesting that it epoxies over the front bead. So that's that to me, that sounds like if it epoxies over the front bead, so the front bead goes up into that sight, correct? That's correct. The, the, you know, the bead on plane barrel, the bead on pedestal, or the bead on vent rib that are the epoxy on, they use the existing bead to locate the front sight, our front sight when you epoxy it on. That makes it really easy for installation, I guess. Is what Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Yes, sir. That's that's something that, that a customer can do at home, uh, make a quick trip to you know AutoZone or Home Depot, buy you some uh, JB Weld or some Marine Techs, go home, clean everything up. It'll epoxy straight onto the barrel, give it a, you know, a day or two before you shoot it, and go right. back to work. And you don't have to worry about it being canned because you've got, you know, you got that front bead to index it. That's pretty cool. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Rich White out there, he says that first one, that, that uh, this white one, I'm assuming, is the one that uh, he's got on his shockwave, he says. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great choice. I mean, like I said, if you're, if you're only running buckshot uh, or birdshot, I mean, that's, that's hard to beat because you really don't need any kind of a rear sight uh, for bird or buck. You just need something you can see regardless of the light conditions, and that's right. you know, quick, easy. You can do that at home. And it gets you where you need to be. So right there, where you scroll down, you've got the ghost ring sights. Um, me personally, unless I'm using a dedicated slug gun, I don't care for ghost rings on a shotgun uh, because for birdshot or buckshot, it's it's more than I need to get the job accomplished. Uh, right. You know, dedicated slug gun, 
or if I was using slugs as the, the main part of my shotgun loadout, man, the ghost rings are hard to beat because they are, are much more, you know, depending, you know, if your shotgun is capable of being precise with slugs, it gives you that chance for the most precision. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, me personally, um, if you want to go back and hit the vent rib tab. Well, before we get off the ghost rings here, sure. uh, how easy or difficult is installation on something like that? Well, it's going to really depend on the shotgun and which variation of sight you want. So right there on the Remington tab, if you've got a shotgun that is factory drilled and tapped, so anything made since probably 2000-ish uh, where it's factory drilled and tapped, that set of ghost rings with the rail and that uh, that banded front, I mean, that's easy. That's, that's 10, 15 minutes. That all bolts on, no big deal. Uh, rear sight matches up with the holes that are on the receiver for the factory scope mount. And then that banded front actually clamps around the barrel. Uh, so that's actually pretty easy to do at home. I mean, in, in a pinch, you could get by with doing it at the range. I wouldn't recommend that. I'd recommend doing it home cleaning and degreasing and red Loctite and everything. But right, right. You know, in a pinch, you could get away with it. Okay. If you okay. wanted that protected wing ghost ring that you had on that previous page, um, yeah, so either of those with those protective wings, right. those are going to require drilling and tapping on an 870. That, that rear sight was actually designed before Remington drilled and tapped the shotgun from the factory. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that particular set for an 870 would require... A little bit of gunsmithing. Um, a little bit of gunsmithing. You'd have to drill it and tap it. Right, right. Now, uh, the, the Mossberg, the, the Mossberg and the Winchester variation of the protected ghost wings, uh, ghost rings, uh, dovetail front, or that, you know, on the Mossberg, any of that bolts on. Um, the Mossbergs have been drilled and tapped for scope mounts longer than the, the 870s, uh, as far as I can recall. And that rear sight was designed, the protected ghost ring sight there on the bottom left, and kind of bottom middle left but either of those will bolt onto the factory uh, hole pattern okay okay well there you go so the lesson in that is buy a mossberg <laughs> <laughs> they're slightly easier to find right now if you're looking for a new gun than a remington 870 right yeah definitely um now what was the other one you said we were going to uh, look at let's go uh pick benelli just because i'm i know it's in the benelli and then right. vent rib Okay. All right. So either of those two sets on the right. Okay. Yeah. Those are my personal preference for most shotguns. Um, I usually use that particular set right there is what I have on the M1 that I use for competitive three gun. Um, Got a tritium front sight, and then I run a very small express rear. If I'm using birdshot or buckshot, I completely ignore the rear sight. Don't don't need it. Don't pay attention to it. Yeah. If I need to use a slug. I've got a rear sight that allows me to refine a sight picture and make a precision shot with a slug. Um, my M1, now this was not in a match. It was just goofing off at the range. Uh, pretty easy to hit IPSI steel targets out to 300 yards. Now, granted, at 300 yards, you're kind of lobbing them in like a mortar, right. but you can do it. You know. Wow, that's interesting. And then so... Yeah, I'm curious about this. I mean, you guys have these obviously for other ones too. Um, 
but that's interesting the way that's on the it's actually those mount to the rib right they you have to have the rib cut for dovetails yeah um, so it, it, it you have to have a solid rib unfortunately that means the mossbergs are out because the mossbergs don't use a solid rib right. um, but benelli's berettas remington's winchesters um basically anything that has a solid rib those can be dovetailed into right gotcha and then that's just uh, just replacement fronts for a Beretta or Benelli with factory ghost rings. Okay. So if you already got the front post, essentially. Yes, sir. That's just the addition for that. Now, interesting question is, because I see that design, and I think the, I think the A2 front on an AR. Um, mm -hmm. Is there an option for that? We do make sites for the A2. Um those wouldn't work. I mean, the thread pattern on those is different. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, those okay. wouldn't work. That, that design, that's what it made me think of the A2, mm -hmm. you know, front yes, side. Yes, sir. We make standard dot and big dot, both in white. We haven't done BXD2s on the AR-15 family yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a white stripe with no tritium. We do a white stripe with a tritium lamp in the center of it. Uh, yeah, there you go. And then we do the CSAT aperture that was actually designed by uh, uh, Paul Howell of Combat Shooting and Tactics mm -hmm. uh, there at the top right. Man, those are cool. <laughs> so, so what that does is that gives you that notch above the aperture for doing close-range precise work, uh, ideally seven yards. And then you flip to that smaller, or you've already got that smaller aperture right below the notch for doing precision work at 100 yards and out, 50 yards and out, depending right. on, on how you've got it set up. I like that. And so the 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 offsets you were talking about, is that earlier when you were talking about the competition, was that something like the, the XT2s here? Yes, sir, that's correct. So the, the XTI2s are the newest version of it. Um, like I said, the, the XTIs were designed by Andrew Brady at Lone Star Armory and myself, and both of us have fairly high cheek bones and fairly tight cheek welds. And what we came up with is there was a lot of people that couldn't actually see the XTIs very well. The front sight was way above the rear when they when they tried to roll the rifle over to use it. Um, so about, I guess it was last year we came out with the XTI-2s. Uh, they're a little taller and they've got a little more lean out, so you got to roll the rifle a bit further, but they're a lot, uh, a lot more readily visible by a larger number of customers. And then those have uh, an ember-only orange front sight, that set that you were just looking at. They're obviously, you know, they are available with a standard dot or a big dot, tritium in the rear, tritium in the front, kind of whatever works for the, the customer. But uh, Right. Those are, uh, those are interesting. But, man, I go back to those, the, the CSAT you were talking about. Mm -hmm. that, CSAT, that CSAT is wicked. <laughs> I like this setup. That's been a, it's been a good one for us, and, and like I said, uh, Paul really likes it. That was Paul's idea. Um, it works well. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. I like, um, you know, the thing is, I mean, I like simplicity. So I've got, you know, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite rifles in general uh, is I've got a an XM177 copy. Ooh, uh, cool. Essentially. 
Uh, so it's, you know, it's not cult, but it's set up uh, in yeah. that style. Um, and so being able to have something that's a simplistic platform like that and then just upgrade, you know, just get a get that little bit of edge, right, with an mm -hmm. upgrade like something like the CSAT, I think, is pretty is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and like I said, those are, those are designed so that, you know, at seven yards, at seven yards, you know, we've got mechanical offset on the AR family, about two and a half inches, right? If you're looking through the app here, you, you actually got to hold two and a half inches high to hit what you're trying to hit if you're making a precise shot. Well, that CSAT is designed so that instead of looking through the aperture at the front sight, you shift your, your, your visual focus, you look through that notch and line it up like you're used to, equal height, equal light, level across top, and your bullet should impact at 12 o'clock top dead center of the front sight. Right. Um, so it's right. it's a way of getting rid of that mechanical offset without having to spend tons and tons of time training for the appropriate hold off at close range. Right. Yeah. It's just a, a quicker adjustment, um, mm -hmm. which I think is I think is ingenious. I think that's pretty neat. What have we not talked about so far? Um, we haven't talked about we haven't talked about some of the lever action type stuff um, oh and there's lots of that <laughs> right the, the lever action is all is a is a cool tool and it's been a, a good product family for us um you know marlin's gonna have the marlin tab will have all the options even though marlins aren't currently in manufacture we still show all the different options um, right and and it's one of those we 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 have all kinds of options for the Marlin. Right. Now, why is it why is it broken down when I go in? Why is that broken down into caliber? Is that going to have to do with the site height or something like that? That's correct. Um, you know, the, the 336 was available in primarily 3030 and 35 Remington. The 35 Remington needs a little different front sight to zero correctly than the 3030 does. Right, uh, and that's that's the reason for the difference is just to be able to get it to zero, right. theoretically right off the bat. Right, and so that's a pretty neat. That's all a pretty neat setup. There's what the uh, sight picture, standard ghost ring sight picture. Yes, uh, sir. Makes it makes a big difference. One of the things that. Uh, you know, I didn't ask this, but I'm I'm guessing the because it doesn't show it actually mounted on the rifle, but that's going to be that rear peep is a that's a receiver mount, correct? Correct. Ideally, you want on a on a, any kind of an aperture system, whether it's a, a a peep or a ghost ring, either one, you really want to try and get that aperture as close to your eye as you can. Right. Um, the thing about the aperture sight system, and if if people don't mind going into a slightly different direction, um. One of the things that most people mess up on an aperture sight system is they try and visually center that front sight in the aperture. That's not how you're supposed to do it. Uh, you want that aperture mounted as close to your eye as possible because you don't want to focus on it. You want to look through it, mm -hmm. right? One of the one of the interesting things about the way the human eye works is if we if we concentrate a beam of light into our eye, and then we put an object into the into that beam, our eye automatically wants to center everything up. Right, so we're, we're tricking our eye with an aperture system. Uh, yeah, the front sight's actually downrange, but because of the way 
the sight's mounted, we're holding onto the rifle squarely. As we look through the aperture at the front sight, our brain automatically thinks that that front sight's being put in the end of that beam of light. Our brain automatically wants to center it up. So the best way to use an aperture sight system, again, whether it's a, a peep or a ghost ring, establish a, sheet, a cheek weld, make sure you're looking through the rear sight, and then forget about the rear sight. Look at the front sight, put it where it needs to go, make a good smooth trigger press, and you're going to be just fine. I'm going to jump in here to the 1894, 1895, basically the same, the same setup. Yes, sir. Um, and then you guys have, the, of course, the rails too. So I guess if you're into, if you want optics and just a good rail, I guess that's the push on just the rails, right? Yes, sir. Um, I mean, me personally, uh, my 1895, when I set it up, I set it up with the ghost ring and the rail, uh, the the lever rail, so the ML-1001-5 side set, uh, mainly because theoretically, Dad and I are supposed to share that, that 1895. Um, right. The reality is I haven't seen it in years because Dad loves it and won't let me have it back. Uh but he wanted to be able to run glass and I wanted to run irons. So I went with the, uh, the lever rail with the irons. I zeroed the irons and then mounted the scope as low as I could get without interfering with the iron sights and let him run it with the scope. Uh, if I need it, I just do, you know, it's mounted in low pulled uh, QRW rings. I pull the scope off. It's zeroed with irons for me. He wants to use it. I throw the scope back on, tighten those uh, QRWs back up, and it's going to be within a quarter to a half minute of where it needs to be so sure. it's good to go yeah for hunting you know hunting accuracy and stuff like that yeah um, and, and mainly mainly his big thing is when he goes to new mexico or colorado he's got it for bear defense or there around oh. his place he's got it for uh thumping pigs right right now uh wes out there uh got a pretty good analogy he said uh, talking about the peep sites he says kind of like uh, the the rear people on a compound boat Pretty much. It's, I mean, it's a, there again, the rear peep on a compound is an aperture size system and it's intended to work the same way. So once you, on a, on a bow, once you've established your anchor point with your, uh, in my case, I'm right-handed, it'd be my right hand. I make sure I'm looking through that peep side on the bow at the right pin. And then I completely forget about the rear sight, focus on the pin and put it where I need to send the arrow. And a lot of folks, um, Man, a lot of folks, I mean, with the with the rear peep thing, a lot of folks do not get, I know you've said it several times when you talk about the, you know, the cheek weld and everything. Um, having consistency in that, when you bring that rifle up, it's the same as your anchor point on a, on a, on a bow. If you're shooting archery and you don't have a consistent anchor, uh, you're going to have issues. And mm -hmm. I don't know how many times that I've seen people that they're like, my scope is off, right? They're like, I don't know what's going on. And then they come out and I watch them and they're on a different part of that cone every time they pull the rifle up. And that, and that will get you. I mean, with, with a rifle, the, the key to being consistently accurate, consistently precise on top of having good quality ammunition is you have to be consistent on the gun, uh, consistent cheek weld and consistent trigger press. And that's, a big part of it that people just don't understand is that that cheek weld on a rifle is basically everything. Right. If you don't have, if you don't have a good consistent cheek weld, you're never going to shoot a good consistent group or get consistent hits. Right. I'm really digging on this. I have quite a few lever, lever rifles and I'm really digging on this, uh, 
this lever scout. I just like the design of that. I don't mm -hmm. know who came up with the idea of having that roll over with the logo and the, the that's just that's stylish. You know, it looks yes, look at the thing, right? I know a lot of people don't care about the looks at all. They don't care how it looks, how good it looks or anything. But that just looks good on that rifle. You know what I mean? It it does. And if you know the the scout concept was uh, was a Jeff Cooper concept for basically a lightweight, not really a do everything rifle, but do as much as possible rifle. Um, and and Colonel Cooper was big on a bolt gun in 308 with forward mounted optic, um, preferably a one to two power optic. The big thing there wasn't so much to get the magnification and be able to seed stuff at distance. It was to put your aiming point in the target in the first focal or in the same focal plane and run both eyes open. Um, he liked mounting the scope in front of the action because it freed up the top of the action for stripper clips. Because at the time that he started working on the scout concept, detachable box mags really weren't all that common on most bolt guns. So right. um, it freed the action up to re reload in a hurry by the use of stripper clips. And that the scout, the lever scout mount is taking the concept of the scout rifle of running a forward mounted optic with, you know, of low power to put your aiming reference and your target in the same focal plane and applying it to a lever gun. Um, if you were going to run a red dot or like I said, a, a burst or a little pulled scout scope, that's the that's the way to go because it's going to get it out there where you need it right you know, scout mounts there for the mauser family of rifles yeah i was looking at that that's pretty you started talking about stripper clip and i, and I seen that earlier and i was like well, that's interesting um is that is this more for people that are using a like a mauser action on a custom rifle or or are there people actually taking and sporterizing, you know, using it on more of a sporter, sporterized mount? It'll it'll work either way. Um, they're really designed around the the military Mausers, uh, okay. simply because that's you, you know you measure the appropriate part of the rifle and you buy the right mount to fit around that diameter, uh, and then it epoxies into place. But if you had somebody that was building a, you know, not even a Mauser, uh, somebody building a Remington Model Seven Scout rifle. And they wanted to run a forward scope mount. Um, you've got two options. You can find a gunsmith that's going to custom fabricate a scout mount, which is going to require turning the barrel and contouring a piece of Picatinny rail and then figuring out how to attach it, whether they're going to epoxy it or drill and tap. Or you just have the gunsmith turn the barrel blank to match a military Mauser step contour and buy the appropriate mount. Right. You know, uh, and I, you know, I know of a couple of people that have custom guns built on not Mauser actions that use that Clifton, you know, our Clifton mount for a Mauser action. They just had the barrel turned to the right step contour, and boom, right. there it is. Ready to go. Right. That's awesome. So I think we've, I think we've covered just about everything product-wise here. It looks like anyway. Dealt with some technical difficulties and a lot of other things so far. Um, yeah, for those that are uh, out there live that have joined us and was patient through the technical difficulties and asked questions, uh, thanks for all that. Appreciate it. Um, for everybody, including those in replay, accesssites.com. That's where we were uh, 
looking at all the, uh, the different options and cool things. You know, I, I looked over the site uh, multiple, multiple times, but that's one of the fun things about having somebody like you on Monty and, 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 you know, kind of walking through this with you and you explaining a few things like the AR thing. I, I didn't even, until we got to those posts and I said something, I completely overlooked that section of the website. <laughs> so when I seen that, I was like, wow, okay, this, this is cool. This is awesome. It, it happens. I understand. I, I, I do that with other companies' websites myself. Be talking to, you know, a friend that works for something else and say something. And it's like, oh, yeah, check this out on our website. Well, crap. Why didn't you tell me you made that? Because I need like five of those. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can't see, can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. So, uh, yeah, we're pretty close to, to time on this one. I want to take a, a quick minute here at the uh, end to obviously thank the YouTube channel members and, and uh, Patreon patrons and the folks that, that make these possible. Uh, and remember that you, know, you can always catch these CloverTac podcasts. Sometimes they're pre-scheduled. Sometimes they're not. Uh, but they're always he's fun. And we always learn something regardless. Um, as far as following you guys, Monty, and, and other than, of course, the site, the, the website, excesssites.com, uh, if folks are looking to follow you guys on social media, keep tabs on new product releases, stuff like that, um, what are some platforms they can do that on? Uh, Facebook, of course, and then Instagram and Twitter, I believe we have accounts on both. Okay. Um, me personally, outside of Facebook, I don't do a whole lot with social media, and I don't do a whole lot with Facebook. I stay, I stay too busy trying to keep sites moving and right. trying to shoot when I can. And, uh, yeah, we'll burn through them just real uh, quickly. But there it is right there. Uh, yeah, Facebook, uh, you guys have a YouTube even, uh, looks like. And yeah, uh, Instagram yeah. and, of course, Twitter. So uh, you can pick your poison. I know folks out there, some of them like Facebook, they don't like Facebook. Some of them like YouTube, they don't like YouTube. Some of them like Twitter, they don't like Twitter. So it's nice when you, you have options for folks out there, for sure. Um that's it, Molly. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it for uh, everybody else out there. Uh, we'll catch you uh, on the next one. Peace. Well, thank you. Appreciate it.